Hello and welcome to Two Men Talking. On today's podcast, resetting your life following death and divorce. I'm Jordan Rich, and as always, we have two very special guests, Stanley and Fred. You're here to talk to us about how they've reset their lives after experiencing the loss of Stanley's wife and the divorce of Fred's wife. Gentlemen, great to see you as always. Stanley, you lost your beloved wife a few years back. Very difficult time for any one of us. And you and Barbara had quite a marriage and quite a love affair. So we go back to the late 50s. And I can't get a job in New York for the summer. I'm in college. So I get a job as a camp counselor. And I'm up in the uh, western, northwest Connecticut, and my wife is a camp counselor. And you know, in those years, you're a camp counselor, the kids go to sleep, all the counselors get together, no cars, no one has a car, no alcohol. I mean, that was a different world. So that's how we met. And we came back into the city, and we dated, went off to Korea for a little while in the United States Army. I came back and we dated a little more. And then I said, you know, I love you. I Let's get engaged. She said, you know, I love you too, but I can't. We can't do it. I said, why can't you marry me? You're not a doctor. I said, what? Are you sick? She said, no, my family, they want me to marry a doctor. And everyone in my family says, you'll never make a living. You'll never be successful. So I kissed her goodbye. An event happened that Fred would say divine intervention, and I would say coincidence. So I'm going up to the Bronx to visit a friend of mine, and I get off on the wrong stop of the subway. And I'm walking up the Grand Concourse, and there my wife comes. She had a Ford convertible. She has the top down. She sees me. She pulls off the road on the Grand Concourse and says, oh, my God, it's you. What are you doing here? I says, I got off at the wrong stop. I love you. Let's go tell my mother that we're engaged. And, of course, her mother was overjoyed to see me because I was never going to succeed and I wasn't a doctor. But we did get engaged. That is chapter one of the story. Your wife passed away just a few years ago, isn't that right, Stanley? Four years this week. Four years this week. But uh, we were married 60 years. To sleep in the same bed with a woman for 60 years is an accomplishment in today's society. <laughs> she had a disease that Robin Williams had. You know Robin Williams? Yes. He had a disease called Lewy Body Dementia, indicated by hallucination of animals. That's the benchmark. And Robin Williams couldn't take it. He killed himself. But my wife suffered with that for seven years, and I kept her at home. And and this is ironic. Women who took care of her for seven years became part of my family. So this week was four years my wife died, and I'm burying that woman tomorrow who took care of my wife. Oh, Mark. Is that ironic? Is that is that divine intervention, friend? We're closing the chapter and people say, how, 60, 60 years, how, how did you last? My wife knew two words, yes, dear. And that two words got us through 60 years. 
My condolences, all of our condolences for you and the people you've lost. Fred, you have a story to tell, too, about your marriage, a different story with a different outcome, but please share with us on today's podcast. We met on a roof in New York City. I was with my brother celebrating his birthday and two attorney friends. She walked in wearing a denim jacket with a burgundy corduroy collar. I think it was her brother's. And I looked at her immediately, was very attracted to her. My uh, friends and I figured out a way to uh, get close to her and speak to her. One of my attorney friends I noticed was giving her his business card. And I said to her, if you're interested in him, then I'm not interested in you. We left, we went to a bar, we had a few drinks. I went back to her apartment, nothing happened. I left at five o'clock, we listened to music. At the time, I was dating a woman, later married, an NFL quarterback who won four Super Bowls. And I say this because on Monday, my two attorney friends called me and they said, so what are you going to do about dating both? And I said, you know what? I'm going to date the woman I met at the party because I've been doing a lot of socializing by then. And I'm going to see how that works. Twelve months later, uh, we were married. I was uh, beginning my career and it was tough. We had two children in New York City, a full portfolio, a girl and a boy. My daughter went to um, Chapin, and my son was in nursery school. And we were thinking about his education from nursery school to grade school. And she came up with the idea that we should move to Connecticut. I think she said there's more babies in her body. I don't know. But um, we moved to Connecticut. My next son was born uh, sometime thereafter. And then my daughter was born soon thereafter also. Traveled a lot, spent summers in Nantucket. She convinced me to buy a house there. Uh, We lived in four very nice homes in Connecticut. All of our children went to good colleges. We were members of some clubs, golfing and and, and boating. We always had what I call a pseudo-nanny. It was someone who would take care of our children, clean and cook. My wife uh, chose to work rather than uh, being at home. What led to the divorce, Fred, if you would share that with us? My former wife was a good mother, a good wife. She managed our finances, took care of the home, scheduled vacations, the children's schooling. Most of her reasoning, her ideas and thoughts were good. And um, if not for her, our two younger children would not exist. I come from a family where you had two and you were done. And um, moving to Connecticut was her idea. That was great. The home in Nantucket was hers. Relocated from New York City in in 96. My daughter was an All-American lacrosse player. Our our eldest son played serious hockey. Our two younger ones excelled in their own ways. So the most fun I had with her, Paris, Marbella, Capri, Positano, Rome, Monte Carlo. And I used to really like to dance with her. And she would be embarrassed about dancing. And I would always tell her, it doesn't matter. Let's do it. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Our banana bread was delicious. I remember we once had a lunch on a train from Florence to Venice. I enjoyed playing backgammon with her, even though I would cheat. And certain family events that she would organize. So why did we grow apart? The only shared interests were our children and grandchildren. Habits and routines of convenience kept us together for as long as was possible. Lots of people stay in dead relationships, preferring comfort to pain. The only time there's no tension, no pain is when you're dead. 
I realized that um, our marriage was over years, maybe a decade or more before. Stanley, bring back a few memories, if you would. What was the best day? What stands out in your mind? So I was downtown at NYU doing some research or something. And this is, we were just dating. It was in December. In those years, you lived home. I lived home. She lived home. I lived home in Brooklyn. She lived home in the Bronx. I said, let's take a walk. So we walked from 8th Street, Washington Square Park, to Grand Central. And it started to snow. And we walked and we talked. And the snow was coming down. And we ended up at a place no longer exists called Schraff's Restaurant. They were in the city, old Schraff's. Let's go in and get a hot chocolate. So we went in, we sat, and it was a very romantic day. That day stays in my mind. By divine intervention, I got it to snow coming down. Really nice. So when she died, I used to walk in Central Park. This is before I met Fred. And I would read the inscription on the benches. And I hope someday someone does a story on those inscriptions on the benches, because some of them are dramatic. So I thought that would be a nice legacy. When I'm gone, people would come sit on the bench, and the inscription has her name, and it says, A Special Person. I hope someone will say, gee, I wonder how come this was a special person? And you read all kinds of dramatic things. I met Fred, and I said, come on, Fred, we'll take a walk. And we walked through Central Park up to the bench. I introduced Fred to my wife. He sits on the bench. It's a nice remembrance, I think. Um, And that bench will be there long after I'm gone. You know, we live in a world now, people don't go to the cemeteries. She'll be, she's buried up in Connecticut. She wanted to be with her mother and father and her grandparents who, by the way, refused to come to my wedding because they never accepted I was marrying her. And I'll be buried next to her. But nobody will ever come to visit us. So somebody, though, will sit on that bench and say, who is this wonderful, special person? And that's that's what I do. Let's now shift a bit and talk with both of you about the reset, what you have to do in life to go on. And Fred, I'll start with you. You described a marriage that had a a lot of very positive things, including those beautiful kids and so many good memories, and then not so good. But uh, you've had to regroup, rebuild. How did you manage that, and what has life been like? My former wife actually gave me a gift. When in May of 2020, she asked to separate our assets. That's when I realized I was free to reset my life. Looking back, I realized that for much of my married years, all the journeys were centered around my children and work. Now I've got new openings and new opportunities. So part of the reset was I moved to New York City. I decided to exercise, eat properly, let go of old habits and routines. Very importantly, welcome and embrace being uncomfortable. Reacquaint myself with New York City. Stanley's helped in a big way to do that. I'm free to use my spare time as I choose. No children, no wife, and I could socialize in ways that I couldn't before. So being a positive example for my children is a foundation for me moving forward. They're a positive force in my life. They give me meaning, purpose, 
My future is all connected to being a role model for them most of the time, but not always. I believe everything happens for a reason. My problems will not destroy my sense of meaning. They actually reinforce it in a positive way. A man accepts his fate and all the suffering it entails. The way in which he moves forward or stays still gives him ample opportunity, even under the most difficult circumstances, to add a deeper meaning to his life. I believe suffering, and I've told this to Stanley, is a valuable experience, and it can bring about inner strength and raise you above your outer faith. Having a sense of humor, and this is what I see, what I get from Stanley, he's got a great sense of humor. I don't have the sense of humor, but having a sense of humor and to see things in humorous light is some kind of trick while mastering the art of living. The last thing I want to say is everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last that can't be taken is human freedoms. So you get to choose an attitude in any given set of circumstances. It comes down to inner decisions, not outer circumstances. You must have the ability to face reality. Reality is the key. We live, we die, we but I think reality and um, having a friends, and you have to be careful, because I'm very careful with words. We all have a lot of acquaintances, and we have very few friends. That, if I say to people, uh, family, I have a lot of, what should I say? Family, real friends makes life much, much better to live. And reality, you have to understand what it's all about. And you have to just make the best best of it and try and move on. I'm, I'm lucky that uh, I've made some good friends. Fred is a, uh, Fred is like a brother. So I, uh, I think that's, that's what gets you through life. Moaning, bitching, complaining, Nobody cares. Nobody wants to hear you moaning, bitching, and complaining. You laugh, everyone laughs. My mother used that. Everyone laughs with you. You cry, you cry alone. So I, I try and laugh and make the best out of it. Because if I cry, no one's really interested. What I sense from both of you is a deep appreciation for the word and the concept of gratitude. So I'd like you to reflect on that. We'll start with you, Stanley. We'll end with Fred. Gratitude, what does it mean and how important is it? Well, it's a good, Joy, that's a very good question. I don't know what gratitude means. What we're asking, in in my religion, there's a prayer you say every morning when you get up and you thank God that you got up. That's that's gratitude. So having gratitude that I have a good friend, someone I appreciate, that's gratitude. Gratitude is I made a good living in my life. So I'm sitting here in a shirt and a tie from Brooks Brothers, and uh, that's very nice. But it's hard. You know, we have, there's words, and people throw out all kinds of words. What do they mean? You have to say, well, what do you mean? What, what are you talking about, you know? So I'm thankful. Listen, I'm, 80, I'm 89. I'm thankful I'm here. I got up this morning and I said, thank you, God. Did he hear me? I don't know. He may be busy. But um, that's, that's what it is. I'm thankful I have a good friend uh, who worries about me. And uh, 
and I can afford to go to a bar and uh, have a drink? Is there more to life than that? Maybe, maybe, but that's my life. My eldest son had a rough patch, went on for a few years. Um, he's beyond that now and uh, married, has a beautiful daughter. And I learn things from everyone and every day. And I tell Stanley all the time, I think if you keep your eyes and ears open, life gives you enough so, so you know what to do. And he said to me a few years ago, um, he asked me about gratitude and we talked about it. And so I have a gratitude list and it just keeps growing. And every morning I get up and I look at that list and I add to it and I read it and it's a great way to start the day. And that's something um, that I got from my son. He has a lot of gratitude for his life and um, he lives it in a very positive way. Yeah, I'm grateful. Stanley and Fred, thank you both so much for sharing your stories and your wisdom. It's been a pleasure talking with you. As the conversation winds down, it's clear that Stanley and Fred have both been through a lot, but they've also found ways to reset their lives and find joy in the present moment. Their stories are a testament to the resilience of the human spirit and a reminder that even in the darkest of times, there is always hope. We thank you and hope you too can find time to walk with a good friend.